Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter. Episode 192, recorded for December 14th, 2022. The Empire strikes back and picks all the clouds. Good evening, Jonathan and Peter. How's it going? Great, thanks, Justin. How are you? Hey, going well. Hey, it's a it's a Wednesday. It's almost the end of the week. It's, you can't you can't complain too much on a Wednesday. Hump day, hump day for sure. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, we don't know where Ryan went to. He he said he would be here, and then he disappeared. So he he probably took a nap. That's what he does. <laughs> so uh, he might pop in at any moment. Uh, we don't know. So we're just gonna we're just gonna keep on moving forward because the cloud news doesn't wait for anybody. Uh, and we'll see if he joins us. But uh, if not, we'll uh, we'll catch him next time around. But uh, there's lots to cover this week. And the first up is an oldie but goodie throwback story. To those of you who listened to the Cloud Pod for a very long time, you'll know that we spent at least the first year of our life talking about Jedi. And Jedi being the joint uh, defense contract, cloud contract that they had rewarded to AWS. And then Microsoft got really cranky and sued, and Oracle said a bunch of bad things. And basically the Pentagon decided that they were going to take a hard look at this deal uh, I think Trump was involved yelling about Amazon and Jeff Bezos getting more money from the government. You know, all kinds of fun politics that we talked about for uh, a full year or so. Then we all got bored of talking about it. But guess what? It's over. Officially. Really over. The Pentagon has awarded a cloud computing contract that can reach up to $9 billion through 2028 to, you guessed it, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, and Oracle. <laughs> That's so great. That is so great. I feel, feel bad for poor DigitalOcean, huh? <laughs> so what I want to know is, do Amazon, Google, Microsoft, and Oracle all have to pay the sales reps for winning the deal? <laughs> the commission? <laughs> well, it, it's, it's a, it's the Pentagon asked for bids from each of them to address certain cloud needs. So I assume that they, on any given deal, they basically bid something. There's even a mention in the article about Oracle uh, you know, which did, which many analysts didn't see as the top tier of companies offering cloud-based computing, did win an indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity contract inside of the DoD uh, for a certain service. So I think it's on a per-service basis. Each each cloud has to basically compete for it, uh, and so you don't get the maybe the leverage of having the huge, massive contract, but you get uh, you know more competition because you're competing against three other people you hate. So use the hate to get the the prices down, not the not the volume. I mean, even so, two billion each is, isn't uh, isn't too bad. Nope, not too bad. Oh, what was the time period? Was it until uh, twenty twenty eight? So uh, five not, years. That's not very far. Yep, five years. Cool. So finally, the cloud will the cloud will come to the government, and we'll start getting cloud services that makes it easier to pay my my federal government taxes. I'm sure. Or or they'll probably bring ML to find you know tax fraud or something better. Or you know that new chat AI thing. Uh, for OpenAI, where you know it can, they'll just use that pointed at their tax records. It's, cloud can help cover money. Uh, well, an interesting story that I thought we'd just talk about because it kind of feeds into uh, you know our talk about cloud providers going all in or not going all in this year. But this is uh, this is a new one. So th- Microsoft apparently bought a four percent stake in the London Stock Exchange as part of a deal in which the London Stock Exchange is committing to spend at least two point eight billion dollars on Microsoft cloud services. Uh, Microsoft hopes to get apparently about five billion dollars out of the London Stock Exchange over the next decade, including a minimum spending commitment. And Microsoft investors should be questioning the deal, according to this article, such as how much of the, the commitment from London Stock Exchange are incremental to what is already being spent with Microsoft. Uh, and overall, Microsoft and Google apparently are making a lot of these equity investments to win cloud deals to drive revenue. 
which may result in a poor quality and expensive revenue source. So mm. yeah, that's uh, that's kind of interesting. What do you guys think? Yeah, buy your customers. I like it. Yeah. I should have done that. What was I thinking? Trying to win customers with good service. Just offer them, you know, a few hundred million dollars and take a six percent stake of it, and you'll be fine. Yeah. Seems a lot, honestly. Yeah, it, it does seem a little odd. Like we have a, in the Oracle world, though, what happened is that they'll find out that you've, uh, you know, you violated Oracle licensing in some horrendous way, horrendous way, and you'll owe them twenty eight billion dollars. Like, well, just give us, uh, you know, five percent equity in your company and and use the Oracle cloud, and we'll be fine. So, yeah, there's fun ways to do it on the Oracle side too. It's like like uh, the cloud does Shark Tank or something. I'll give you yeah. uh, for your business. I'll give you a six percent stake. Yeah. It's, it just definitely has the potential to create odd incentives when deciding how much to spend on that service provider. Very odd. I've seen this sort of the other way around though, but I've seen it um, and I won't mention where, and it created some good synergies and that you're all on the same page, but it also created some really, really odd side effects of overspend. So we'll see what happens. Well, of course we know what they're going to do with those 6% of the uh, shareholder votes. Guess, guess whose cloud they're going to vote for to use? Yeah. <laughs> for sure. All right, well, let's move on to AWS. Um, so we talked about a couple of these briefly during our recap show, but Werner uh, posted the original Distributed Computing Manifesto uh, to his blog, All Things Distributed. The manifesto is a canonical document from the early days of Amazon that transformed the architecture of Amazon's e-commerce platform and it highlighted the challenges facing at the end of the 20th century and it hints at where it was headed. Uh, and so I, I took a time to go read through the Distributed Computing Manifesto and uh, it was interesting to see how you know simple it all seemed on paper <laughs> and probably how actually complex it was uh, is a completely different thing. But uh, you know, it's a great working backwards narrative uh, example from the, the you know, Amazon's world uh, and why they thought that going to API first was going to be super important. You loosely couple of contracts and services and really this begins... The journey that got them to building their own cloud. So it's a good uh, piece of history to read if you're curious. Yeah, it was very interesting, and it's so um, so forward thinking. It's it explains a lot about why Amazon have been leaders since the beginning of cloud. Really, yeah, it makes a lot of sense when you design for this type of distribution, and then you figure out how to make that into a service you can sell to others. It's a all makes sense. All makes sense at the end of the day. Were they really the first ones? I mean, they called it the two the two pizza team, but were they really the innovators of the microservice architecture? They were not the innovator of the microservice architecture, but they're one of the earliest uh, adopters, adopters and user yeah. of it. Yeah, that's the first one I had really run into was Amazon. And then the other article we want to talk about uh, to save for today was uh, Werner set out his 2023 predictions on the All Things Distributed blog as well. Uh, and so, you know, as we're preparing for our end of year look back and look forward, we're also working on our predictions. And so I thought I would give you guys some of the uh, inspiring words from Werner, who uh, probably has a better idea than any of us on what the future may hold. Uh, and so he had five predictions, and I'd like to share them with you. Uh, so, first of all, prediction number one. Cloud technologies will redefine sports as we know them. Yeah, I can I can definitely see that. The technology that's available now to analyze everything, every player movement, every tactic. It's um, you know combine that with the the, the smarts of uh, AI. AI now, it's going to be very hard to not use this technology and still be successful in sports. I think. 
also and experience every game. I mean, I think he's also mentioning about how cloud technologies are going to change how we watch them, how we interact with them. Yeah, I mean, even think about the uh, you know, top golf and, and plotting the the course of the ball just after you hit it. Same thing in football. Same thing in lots of sports. Be able to rotate on a tablet the, the entire playing field and see all the all the players rendered in in three D or something. Watch the plays from different angles. It's it's going to be it's going to be really fantastic, really. Have you heard of fan controlled football league? No. Basically, you watch the football game except you're calling the plays real time. The fans are voting on and calling the plays real time. <laughs> That'd be uh... it's completely interactive, right? Yeah, totally. Uh, next up is the prediction number two. Simulated worlds will reinvent the way we experiment. Uh, so, you know, they did announce the sim thing at reinvent the digital twins in the past. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely see that more simulations, I think more simulations will continue to drive some of these outcomes. And Alexa will probably try to jump in on my conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Third one is a surge of innovation in smart energy. Uh, this is all about energy storing, surface materials, decentralized grids, smart consumption technologies, and rapid development on global scale. Now, I don't think he knew uh, three weeks ago that you know we'd potentially crack the first step towards fusion. Fusion, <laughs> but that happened uh, yesterday or earlier this week. They announced that they had finally gotten fusion to produce slightly more energy than it would consume to make it. Uh, don't get excited yet; it's still probably 20, 30 years away. But hey, steps in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, that fusion thing is interesting on the surface because, yes, the delivered energy by the laser into the capsule that releases the energy was less than the energy that came out. But unfortunately, when you take account of the fact that the laser is probably 1% efficient and use 100 times more energy than actually went in <laughs> to the capsule to, to, to release that 3.5 um, megajoules, whatever it was, um, yes, we're still nowhere near being able to ignite fusion. I mean, it's interesting in itself, but it, it, if you take a step back and look at the whole picture, it, it didn't produce more energy than it required to even run the experiment. Having said that, <laughs> it, is pretty, it is pretty cool. And I think there has to be an innovation of smart energy. Otherwise, people are going to end up without power. It feels like the physicists did their job, and now it's the engineer's turn. <laughs> Engineering and DevOps all over again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, maybe that's a good use for that AI. It could be. could be definitely a good use of it. The upcoming supply chain transformation is its fourth. Uh, basically saying adoption of technology such as computer vision and deep learning will propel the supply chain forward. Driverless fleets, autonomous warehouse management, and simulations are just a few of the optimizations that will lead to a new era in smart logistics and global supply chain. Hey, and the new Amazon supply chain service they announced. Hmm. Uh, yeah, he, did he, I guess he saw that one coming. Yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> Yeah, driverless vehicles. I, I mean, that's great, but the, the surely the majority of drivers are local drivers, not um, long haul drivers. I can see automating long haul on freeways and things. The technology is already there, but um, the little robots that try and deliver packages from the back of the uh, the Amazon vans up the steps of my house, for example, that that's going to be a bit of a challenge to to make completely um, driverless. But the the long and the short of it is that. Slowly over time, the ship date when you buy something off of Amazon or anywhere else uh, gets closer to real time and the cost to get it to you gets lower, right? Yeah. Well, we, we need standardization. We need every house to have a, a box that can be opened by a machine that's delivering something and pops the package through and it doesn't matter. 
Yep. Uh, someone will figure all that stuff out. The end result is everything is going to be available tomorrow and it's going to be free to get it here. I can't wait. Just uh, $129.99 for your Prime subscription. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, and then his last uh, prediction number five was custom silicon goes mainstream, which I think we sort of already saw in 2022 with the you know Apple's uh, computers all moving to the new M1 and M2 processors, the Graviton getting more and more adoption inside the, the you know AWS, Azure and and GCP rushing to get as many NVIDIA ARM chips as they can uh, to help you out there. So I think this one's a no-brainer <laughs> that it's going to be a big deal continuing 2023 uh, and beyond as you know we get more and more. Purpose-built silicone that does things amazingly. Well, if only they build a fab plant, like I said, they were going to announce a reinvent. Then uh, that would have been even easier for them. <laughs> very true. Very true. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's definitely something to be said for very specific, um, specifically crafted silicon chips. I mean, general purpose is great and easy to use and cheap to manufacture, but it's always going to be inefficient because you're only ever going to be using ten percent of, of the transistors on the die. If you start creating things for very specific purposes, they can be really well optimized. Like Bitcoin mining. Exactly. Right? I mean, the, the source code should be on the ASIC. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So that's it. That's Warner's uh, five predictions for 2023. Some of them felt a little bit uh, destined since those were things they announced. But, uh, you know, definitely there's some good food for thought there. And I think... Uh, We'll continue to see where it goes, but uh, we're looking forward to next week. I think we'll record our final show for 2022, where we look back at how we did at our predictions. Uh, I did take a peek. I think some of us did pretty well. Maybe Jonathan this year. <laughs> uh, and then uh, we'll make our predictions for 2023. What can we do? Where do we see? Where do we see this cloud craziness going? Uh, and see how good our crystal balls are, which are not very good most of the time. So we'll try our best. All right, next up for Amazon is Amazon DevOps Guru for RDS Text SQL Load Changes. The DevOps Guru for RDS now detects if Amazon Aurora database is receiving a significantly larger number of SQL queries and if those queries are reading more data than usual. The new functionality will help you discover in the event of a degraded database performance if an application traffic change is the likely culprit. Which, of all of the things they've added to DevOps Guru for RDS, this one makes me excited. Because this, yeah. one I've, this one I've been in many times where you're like, what changed yesterday versus today? Is it more load? And they're like, oh, this is normal. And they say, why does your query not work today? And you know, after many hours of debugging, you figure out like, oh, they're uploading 25,000 times more data than they did before. <laughs> but you just didn't have the observability to see it. I guess it's a useful security metric as well. Because if all of a sudden somebody's sucking data out of your database at, at a huge rate, uh, having visibility to that would be pretty handy. How about a significantly smaller number of SQL queries because somebody drops a database? Ah, Jimmy again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then our final AWS story is uh, apparently Amazon can't uh, catch a break on not getting hacked uh, or not getting a, at least a security researcher to try to hack them. With Lightspin back again, this time finding a vulnerability in the public Amazon ECR registry. The vulnerability allowed attackers to delete, update, and create ECR public images, layers, ads, and tags in registries and repositories that belong to other AWS accounts. Uh, the quote yes. here from Gafnet Amiga, Director of Security Research at uh, Lightspin said, A malicious actor could poison popular images, all while abusing the trust model of the ECR public, as these images would be masquerade as being verified and thus undermine the ECR public supply chain. 
This vulnerability could potentially lead to denials of service, data exfiltration, lateral movement, privilege escalation, data destruction, and other multivariate attack paths that are only limited by the craftiness and goals of the adversary. Uh, Lightspin did reach out to AWS to let them know about this, who respond, immediately responded and resolved the issue within 24 hours. And they also added that they reviewed all of their logs, and other than this one researcher who was doing this particular behavior, they have find no evidence of this happening. Wow. Ah, that was an expensive Athena query. <laughs> yes, it was, but very important. <laughs> if only they'd announced a supply chain, software supply chain uh, tool. Right? That's also yeah. tool. If only... If wow. only if only. I guess when you when you've got the, the biggest cloud with the biggest surface area for attack and and so much publicity around any anything that happens like this, it's it's uh it's like free advertising for any researcher to go after things like yeah. this. Yeah. I mean, I would. Agreed. Moving on to uh, GCP. Uh, you can break down data silos with the new cross-cloud transfer features of BigQuery Omni. For those of us who remember talking about it before, this is the ability to run BigQuery inside of AWS or Azure. Uh, in April 2022, they added support, of course, for SQL-supported load statements that allowed Azure and AWS blob data to be brought into BigQuery as managed table for advanced analysis. That feature is now in public availability and general availability. Uh, there's lots of feedback since the launch, of the, uh, and the feedback has been pretty strong. And So they've added several new features to help improve it further. Uh, first up is in usability. They now allow for data filtering and loading with the same editor across clouds. Uh, you can load SQL supporting data formats like JSON, CSV, Avro, Orc, and Parquet with semantics for both appending and truncating your tables. Load supports both PRX syncs and refreshing the complete table semantics. And they also added support for data lake standards like Hive partitioning and JSON data types. With the security, uh, security side, they added federated identity model where users don't have to share or store credentials between cloud providers to access and copy their data. They also now support customer-managed encryption keys uh, for the destination table to help secure data as it's written in BigQuery and the VPC SC boundary to mitigate data exfiltration risks. Uh, in latency, uh, with data movement managed with BigQuery write API, users can effortlessly move just the relevant data without having to wait for long, complex pipes. Or They've improved job latency significantly for the most common load jobs and are seeing performance improvements with each passing day. And then they provide a cost auditability to you. From one invoice, you can see all your compute and transfer costs for loads across all your clouds, with each job coming with statistics to help admins manage their budgets more effectively. Help them see how much money they can save if they just move all the data to Google. you got to get it out of the other clouds first. <laughs> that's, yeah. an, that's not always cheap. Yeah. That's super useful. Totally useful. And then uh, the Cloud PubSub has announced general availability of Exactly Once Delivery. <laughs> the Cloud PubSub team is excited to announce that Exactly Once Delivery feature uh, will make it available for you to receive exactly once delivery within a cloud region, and the feature provides the following guarantees to you. There will be no redelivery occurs once the message has been successfully acknowledged. There will be no redelivery occurrence while a message is outstanding. A message is considered outstanding until it's acknowledged uh, or the deadline expires. In the case of multiple valid deliveries due to acknowledgement deadline expiration or client issuing negative acknowledgement, only the latest acknowledgement ID can be used to acknowledge the message with any request with the previous ID failing. Google points out this is a benefit as customers who would have to build their own complex stateful processing logic to remove duplicate deliveries. And with the exactly once delivery feature, there are now stronger guarantees around not delivering the message while the acknowledgement deadline has not passed. And all I have to say is you really, really put a queue in place that only delivers the message once and made that a feature. It's, it's well done. Very, very well done, Google. Pub sub yeah. TCP. Yep. 
and difficult to do while maintaining high availability and performance as well at, at, at scale. So kudos. Yeah, very, very impressive. Have you been waiting months and months to hire your new AWS, GCP, or Azure architect only to have them be poached at the 11th hour by a startup with a juice bar? Initiatives stalled because you're having trouble hiring? Well, I have a simple solution, Foghorn Consulting. Foghorn Consulting provides top-notch cloud engineers to the world's most innovative companies and can be burning down your DevOps and cloud backlogs as soon as next week. Foghorn certified AWS, GCP, and Azure professionals are armed with infrastructure as code and from day one will be designing performant, optimized cloud-native or hybrid environments that deliver on the promise of cloud. Their FogOps solution even provides on-demand cloud engineering to augment your existing teams. Visit www.foghornconsulting.com or send an email to cloudtalentnow at foghornconsulting.com and tell them the CloudPod sent you. Your dedicated FogOps team is with you for the long haul and they bring their own juice. Moving on to Azure, uh, it's been a year since Charlie Bell uh, left AWS to go over to Microsoft, and so the information has a full article here that they actually dropped during reInvent uh, to talk about how his first year is going. And uh, basically, it's been bumpy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, just for the context, Bell oversees one of the largest cybersecurity teams uh, in technology with over ten thousand employees in his organization and fifteen billion dollars in revenue. But apparently he's hit multiple resistance to preventing and responding to software vulnerabilities, believing that he was setting the bar too high, which this is the most .NET answer I've ever heard about security vulnerabilities. That is, that is not the usual answer you get from a security team. Usually usually it's, we want it higher. Yeah. But apparently uh, people not in security at Microsoft are saying it's too high. Ah, ah well. Yes, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, you know, This is despite Microsoft suffering numerous black eyes about security of Azure, when it's trying to get more people to jump to the cloud. On multiple occasions, apparently, in smaller meetings, Bell responded by asking managers a blunt rhetorical question, how many public cybersecurity issues had Microsoft experienced in the past year compared to other software companies? Uh, which, apparently, some people at Microsoft perceived as a dig against Microsoft's security track record compared to AWS, even though he didn't mention the word AWS. Which, uh, you know, is fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, they did. Information did report that uh, things have been less friction filled than they have than they were at AWS for Bell, though. In general, uh, they talked about Adam Slipsky and him uh, apparently having many funding feuds over programs and products when they were both working at AWS, which maybe explains why Charlie Bell went to Microsoft <laughs> when uh, Adam Slipsky was named the new CEO. Uh, and there was a quote here from Jim Ruth, a former chief information security officer at Life Insurance Provider at Mass Mutual. Uh, All software has defects since it's created and configured by humans. For now, <laughs> but the pattern, yeah, fair enough. But the pattern of security incidents and defects in Asia, reportedly by third parties, and the related severity suggests that even Microsoft is challenged in adopting proper security controls in cloud-native development pipelines, like many enterprises. So, uh, yeah, apparently so. DevSecOps practices are definitely being pushed by Bell, according to the article. Uh, and in response to Azure Escape, Bell sought to shake up Microsoft's software development culture by telling software developers that they, not the ops team, are in charge of keeping all aspects of their software secure and nice. Uh, if there are flaws in the software they write, that leads to the vulnerability for downtime developers, and Bell's unit can ex- be expected to be paged, and they will fix the code through a pull request back to the original dev team, which is apparently a long-standing practice at AWS, but is sacrilegious at Microsoft. Yeah. Keep your damn hands off my uh, off my code. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
So uh, yeah, a little bit of a rough year for Charlie. <laughs> and I, I, you know, it's been sort of surprising how little we've seen him in the public eye. You'd think that he'd get rolled out more often uh, in Microsoft parlance. But uh, you know, did the article did also talk about he's made some good relationships with Scott Guthrie and some of the other key Microsoft Azure executives. So I think mean, I think overall it's probably a mixed bag of a year for him. If I were to met expectations kind of year. <laughs> that's a that's a pretty huge change in a pretty high profile position. I couldn't yeah. expect that to go smoothly. I don't think anybody did. No, and his his success at AWS, I'm sure, was sort of underpinned by the fact that the culture is completely different there. Yep. And yeah, one executive can't just say, okay, do it like this without the culture changing and processes changing and people changing. That's going to be a long, slow process. Yeah. I I imagine a transformation of any size and success is a five-year program. Probably hindered by the fact that you know most of the employees are remote work from home people. <laughs> you know, there's just lots of factors that you know make that transformation that much harder to do. Um, but I, you know, sounds like baby steps in the right pra- in the right direction, which hopefully will turn into best practices and maybe new technologies and services from Azure long term that everybody can benefit from. Yeah. Speaking of benefiting from Azure, if you are taking time during the Christmas holiday to learn Azure. Uh, they have launched new role-based training courses to help you tailor your Azure learning experience. And that particularly impacts you if you're a network engineer, a backup and DR specialist, or a Java developer. Uh, but no, Fred, if you are a system admin, solutions architect, developer, an AI developer, data engineer, or a data scientist, uh, those existing uh, classes have existed for a while. You just didn't know until I just told you. So, But uh, all those brand new classes out there to get out there learning Azure if you're interested. i got to tell you, I better have some very strong wine on Christmas if I'm going to... <laughs> they even think about taking one of those classes. <laughs> <laughs> what? Why? That was like so much fun. So much fun. I don't, I, it would take a lot of money to get me to go get Azure certified, I'd tell you. <laughs> I, I, I mean, joking aside, I guess it's um, it's nice to see that the cloud provi- that a cloud provider is actually focusing on helping people whose jobs are effectively at risk as companies migrate to the cloud. We don't need a network engineer anymore because you deploy with Terraform. It's a piece of code. We don't need you to go and type this thing into the Cisco or the Juniper. So I, I guess providing a path to people um, to, to get out of their current roles and responsibilities into an equivalent skill set in cloud is actually pretty nice. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, in February 2022, Azure launched the Azure File Migration Program that provided no-cost migration to Azure customers via Chase of Storage Migration Partner, either Comprise or Data Dynamics. And I think at the time we laughed that that's really not really no cost. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so now, apparently, after we mocked them mercilessly here, they are adding another choice for file migration, which is the preview of Azure Storage Mover, which is a fully managed hybrid migration service that makes migrating files and folders to Azure a breeze per Microsoft. Key capabilities include an NFS share to Azure Blob Container, cloud-driven migration panel where you can actually set up all your migrations and monitor them from the cloud, and plus increased scale and performance over competitive offerings in the space. Mm. Yeah, not judging yeah. migration. Mm. <laughs> just your soul. All right, we can't. We just can't it's wow good. you. On nice to have new tools, right? <laughs> nice to have new tools to make it easier if you got to do it. I need, I need Ryan here to be like, yes, mover tools, great. No, no, we'll just have Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> it may be Wednesday, but it feels like it feels like a Friday. <laughs> yeah, really. Sure. Well, I have three Oracle stories for you this week. Uh, three. 
Three of them. I know. So awesome. Uh, and there's so, always comes in threes. Yes, yes it does. <laughs> First up is the uh, Oracle is excited to announce the availability of OCI, a serverless compute service that enables you to instantly run containers without managing any servers. Uh, today, organizations on Oracle Cloud are actively adopting containers as the de facto way of packaging and running applications in the Oracle Cloud. In fact, the Oracle Kubernetes engine, their managed Kubernetes service, is widely used by customers at scale, allegedly. OCI container instances take all of the operational complexity away and enables you to run containerized applications without any managing infrastructure. And you provide the container images to run your app. OCI manages container runtime and compute resources. So thank you, Oracle, for joining the club with everybody else who's running Kubernetes who doesn't want to actually manage servers. Appreciate that for, for joining us. I mean, the, the value of the SEO in just the name of the service is just fantastic. So you've got Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, OCI, running a service called OCI, which I runs know. OCI I containers. Know. I mean, come on. Yeah, come on. I, thought, I thought AWS's names were bad, but that's just ridiculous. Or is this OCICI? It's OCICI running OCI. OCI container instances, OCI CI. It's like Bob Loblaw's Loblog. I think you just broke my brain. I don't, <laughs> I don't know that I can parse all of what you just said. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure Container Instances, OCI CI. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But it's a good value. That's the question. Well, speaking of the question of the segue there. Uh, if you partner Azure, of course, who has a also a serverless container or instance type solution, you attack them. That's the partnering thing to do. And Oracle took the time to bash Azure's competitive solution to OCI container instances or OCI OCI. They say the OCI has faster performance than Azure with the ability to deploy containers with a single API at a less cost point and on uh, with basically pointing out that their compute on Azure is 3.2 times more expensive than OCI and memory is three times more expensive, making an average of three times more expensive to run the same container workload on Azure using OCI. Now, I thought it was mostly interesting that they chose Azure as their partner to bash versus AWS or GCP, uh, meaning I need to go probably investigate the pricing because I'm going to guess it's just about the same or slightly more expensive than either GKE <laughs> uh, or EKS. Probably. And then, of course, finally, it was earnings season for Oracle, and we don't really cover their earnings season because it's boring. Uh, and no one wants to talk about databases. But uh, apparently, uh, Larry Ellison was back, and the register had a quite snarky-filled article about uh, the fact that he was out there touting Oracle Cloud never goes down once again. Uh, he quoted out one of that money quote he's, he dropped uh, last quarter where one of the telco customers said, you know, this between Oracle and all other clouds is just never goes down at all. Uh, Larry Ellison in the earnings call also said, our cloud is very secure and extremely reliable. And then... Uh, the register pointed out that, except for that time when uh, you know the summer heat wave in Britain took down Oracle and took down your cloud for heat. So overall, if you are curious about the revenue, there was $12.275 billion, up 18% year over year, with the cloud infrastructure being up 53% to $1 billion, well off the pace of AWS and Microsoft. So right, thanks for playing Oracle. We appreciate it, but you're still a loser. 60% of the time works every time. Yeah. Oh, they did have a, nice, a little money quote here. I should point out that Oracle believes the future of clouds is not the four high walled gardens; it's highly integrated clouds that interconnect. And all I can think is because it benefits Oracle if they interconnect. They have to. That's where all the workloads are. Exactly. And that's uh, that's it for the main show. Uh, you want to take us to the lightning round, Peter? I would love to. Uh, announcing global free-tier pricing rules for AWS Billing Conductor. <laughs> because you want to turn off the free-tier and all your billing reports for some strange reason. 
So thanks. Thanks for that. I appreciate it. Who wants a free tier? I just see this AWS Blinken doctor going around saying, tickets, please. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Valid purchase orders. Billion dollar check, please. Mm-hmm. Amazon QuickSight supports a billion with a B row data sets with spice. Just a little bit of spice. Nope. I thought for sure I was going to get someone doing a uh, one billion rows, but I didn't. <laughs> It's about the Spice Girls, but I wasn't off her singing just today, so. Yeah, Spice, yeah. yeah, for sure. I'll tell you what I want. I want QuickSight to support billion row data sets. <laughs> billion row data sets. <laughs> that would have been a great show title. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah. ABS cost anomaly detection adds account name and other important details to its alert notifications. I love the idea of getting an anomaly detection for your cost before and being like, well, I just spent a billion dollars, but I have no freaking idea where because there's no account details of any kind that I could use. Thanks. appreciate that. Some finance guy at AWS is going, curses, now they can solve their problems. Yeah, really, the sales, sales team. Damn it. Amazon SageMaker Data Wrangler now supports AWS EMR Presto as a big data query engine. All I can think is a rabbit out of a hat and shazam. <laughs> hey. Presto. 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 Amazon FSX for NetApp on tap announces four ease of use features, of which I'm not going to tell you. Yeah. The best ease of use feature is not using NetApp on tap. Just, just use EBS or, or EFS. You know who totally disagrees with you is the NetApp sales guy who just keeps calling me and won't stop telling me that I'm a customer of this. He won't stop. <laughs> won't stop. A uh, little GA announcement. Now available cross-region read replicas for Azure Cosmos DB for Postgres. In 100 years' time, it's going to be announcing cross-Cosmos read replicas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I get it. Ah. <laughs> took, took a second. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Um, that's a winner. Um, generally available also Azure Blob storage integration with Azure Cosmos DB for Postgres. And after that millennium of the Cosmos being connected together, it can be taken over by the Blob. Perfect. Yes, I like it. Good try. Last GA announcement, day zero support for .NET 7.0 on App Service. I mean, I do feel like .NET 7 is a zero-day vulnerability all the time. So thank you for that. <laughs> that was a poor choice of press release name. <laughs> it's in the name, 7.0. Truthful, truthful. A little, little too truthful, a little too truthful. Yes, Cross Cosmos. Jonathan, good job. Yay. Nice. Finally. Once every four years. Yeah. That sounds pretty it's good. Like a, it's like a leap, <laughs> a leap podcast. Yeah. Uh, well, we are finally at the end of the year. We have one more show to record, guys. Then we go take a nice break until after the new year and join everyone in 2023. So we'll be back next week with a fantastic recap show to look back at our favorite announcements of 2022. You guys start doing your researches on the show note archives, guys. Uh, find your favorites. And uh, we will be back next week with some predictions and uh, wrap up the year, hopefully with uh, nothing too crazy from any of the cloud providers to take up all the fun. So see you next week. Have a good one. Good night. See you later. And that is The Week in Cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag the cloud pod 
or join our Slack channel, go to our website, thecloudpod.net, for sign-up instructions. Thank you.